0: so welcome everybody welcome welcome to mojo moments i'm here with mark dolinsky
1: how's it going man going is going well that's good good to know <laughs> how's your mojo these days
0: uh it's a little impacted because i can't run because my lower back is sore significantly sore and you know why
1: because you ran too much. Because you need to stretch more. Because yeah. you got funky shoes. What's did
0: up? I, did I already tell you this shit? You I must did, have told you. didn't them. tell the listeners. Yeah. Well, that's exactly. Well, then you've answered it. It's that all that. So I got to get back. You got to get some good habits back in, so I can get back out there and do the running. My best form of therapy. My my, I'm chasing, chasing something. I'm chasing the high, the runner's it's out high, there, man. I'm chasing whatever the runners it is. It's high. out there. What about you? What's your mojo? What's going on?
1: Uh, it's been good. We've been working on the Clickbait and such podcast. People have been reaching out to us, people we know, giving us positive energy and some good vibes, some nice feedback. So that's been nice. That's sort of boosted my mojo this week.
0: Then we'll take it.
1: Ah, I'm taking all the good vibes I can get.
0: Awesome, dude. So look, today we have Katie Yam. Katie Yam is like a force of energy. Uh, I got to meet her. Um, how did I get to meet her? I think a friend of a friend, but I've, I've she's deeply involved with the startup community in Montreal with Founder Fuel, uh, TechStars. Uh, she spends a lot of time with uh, TEDx Montreal as the organizer, and she spends a lot of time actually thinking about mojo. She doesn't use the word mojo, but I would argue this is a person who who is concerned about how to be better how to work better, how to be a better human, and that's why we have Katie on today. So look, Katie, we're the, we're all business here on the Mojo Moments podcast, so I'm going to just jump right in here, okay? You ready to rumble? And in our intro, we did your whole bio thing, so, so we're not going to do bio thing. We're just going to ask you right out, You went from kind of being some sort of manager at a white pantry, bag bread, Canada bread uh, place to now being GM of Founder Fuel at Real Ventures, which is a startup thingy. Like help help us, help Mark, help our listeners connect those dots because we're not sure how they connect. And I'm sure you could tell us.
2: Yeah, I guess a lot of people look at my career and it's very non-linear. So as you mentioned, you know, kind of like I spent eight years running white bread in Canada from, you know, Dempster's, uh, Palm, which that's for Pride of Montreal, for those who do not know. Um, And Mm. uh, McGavin's out West and Ben's out East. And then I went into nine years of casino gambling, you know, like managing the slot operations and tables and business intelligence and new product development there, and then sprung into artificial intelligence uh, where I was um, at element for almost uh, three years uh, working on all types of things of AI um, uh, and at the end they're kind of customer marketing in the pipeline of, of getting AI or b2b AI enterprise uh, together and then jet jumping over to founder fuel as general manager so it looks very nonlinear and it's uh, and even 2013 so I also run a nonprofit for those some of those who know I run TEDx Montreal so I run uh, TED Talks in our city um, so I work a lot with Ted, um, in, in New York as well. And it's lovely, but I think if I were to say one thing that ties it all together is like curiosity and wonder, you know, I'm just really curious. Uh, I just, I'm interested in a lot of things. I want to learn learn a lot of different things. And, and I've never been one to really say, you know, here's my career path. This is what I wanted to do. I think the only time I ever wanted to do that once coming out of school, I said, you know, I want to be director by 30, you know, I started Maple Leaf foods. We were in a a management training program, and they were very competitive, um, and that got blown out of the water. Um, when I was 26, I was diagnosed with a tumor. Um, so for some of you that know, like I underwent you know, 49 sessions of chemo in 14 months, and uh, what I realized there was, like I was I really felt like I was running with the Joneses, and then I got shot off a grassy knoll, and I fell over, and everyone was running And I was really upset at getting diagnosed because it was taking me off my path of being director by 30. And that's just full of shit. (laughs) Like, you know, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, And since then, you know, just super curious. Uh, What am I learning? What are are we learning together? What can I build? Um, I'm I'm a builder, so I don't love to maintain things. I like to put things together and then find someone who wants to learn that and take it to the next level and then keep moving on. Um, So when you look at that through that lens, um and i love people and people bring me opportunities and have bizarro conversations and i'm super open to meeting people um that's that's how that transpired so the only dot i would say or the through line is curiosity has really has really been that for me
0: so did that moment when you had cancer was that when you became curious or it got you back on that 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 path
2: i think the cancer took the fear out of it it took the sting out of it, it you know i think when you're young you you fear and I definitely had you know the Asian upbringing love my mom but definitely you know <laughs> uh, you know very tough, <laughs> Hi, very mom. tough Hi, uh, mom. you know competitive you know being the best you know you come in second and it's like who came in first and what did you lose that mark on you know Um so I think I always wanted to do stuff and then I always did extracurricular activities so throughout high school university I was on like student governments and stuff like that but it was It was always like not seen as being central to my education, Uh, but I always wanted to do other things. And so I think after the the cancer, it was more like, I remember this one moment I was lying in bed and, you know, my, my father, my first paycheck, like, drove me to the bank. We put it into an RRSP. I think I was, like, 17. I was like, what is this for? He's like, "It's what is... You're 65. There won't be any left for you in the pension. I'm like, what are you talking about? Give me my money, you know? (laughs) So my dad, like, you know, we were all very... I put a lot of money aside and, you know, paid through school and everything. And I worked four jobs during school uh, because, you know, first-generation immigrant family. And I think I was saving a lot. And there was this one moment I remember I was really sick. Um, there was like three weeks where I was had had like a hundred and some fever. I lost like 20 pounds. It was really not a great three weeks. <laughs> um, and I remember one night, you know, people always think like, oh, you know, when you're like looking death in the eye or whatever, I was tired, I was exhausted. And I remember lying there going like, oh, I'm so tired. Like there was no fight. It was like take like, I'm not gonna wake up tomorrow morning and it's gonna be okay. You know, like I'm just tired. <laughs> I woke up the next day and I was like, oh shit, I'm alive. Like this is awesome. Like I didn't think to be still alive. And I thought all the money I have in the bank would not buy me an extra day if I wanted it to. And in that moment, I think it was like, what's the life I wanted to lead? Um, so I actually got married right after, and then I got divorced soon after that, because i um, I was like, This is not the life I want to lead, and i I didn't survive this sh- <laughs> often like there's a big joke, like I was like, I didn't survive cancer for this shit, you know? <laughs> like, you know, and so that's kind of the the rationale that I, I go through. although I still work too much, um, definitely have problems balancing that necessarily. I'm just very passionate about things. but um but yeah, that's that's what I would say would be like what changed is the fear got knocked out of it a little bit. but you know, um, that gave me like the, the, like I didn't survive cancer for this shit attitude, you know.
0: I like that line. I, I that d- you need a t-shirt for that. <laughs> hey? I didn't survive cancer for this shit. <laughs> hey?
2: Yeah. I also I also did the thing like when I was when I was sick, you know. I I'd be like, "Can you get me a glass of water or a glass of milk?" Like, get it yourself. I'm like, "I've got cancer." <laughs> 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 I'm, like, what the-? I'm like hey man if i can't use this to get me a glass of milk like what is this good for
0: <laughs> like seriously what else <laughs> here here's some money i've been saving up go get it for me i'll pay you
2: so yeah i think i've always seen things kind of half glass full like everything's you know funny <laughs> yeah
0: so i consider you a geek you know and, and in the most beautiful sense of that because uh, someone on the team once said that a geek is someone who's so passionate about whatever they're doing they don't give a shit what anyone else thinks. That's what a geek is. And I, I always feel that you're 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 that type of person, you know and so do you feel again, is that something you learnt along the way and or were you always kind of that kid, you know or
2: uh, interesting. I've always been very curious. I've always wanted to like learn some things. Um, I just have to figure out sometimes like, I don't want to learn that and like, <laughs> you know, sometimes I've been more, you know, the I can't help it. Like I can't help but like, you know, when I first got into to running um, TEDx Montreal, you know, I didn't know how to edit video. I didn't know the first thing about, I was super curious about it, you know? So I taught myself, I watched tons of TED videos, like the Amy Cuddy video or, and I was just looking enough for content switching framing how long do they leave the slides up for i was counting the seconds like, how long does it take me to read something okay what are the pans and now i'm looking at like the ang like the breakdown of the videos and i'm not even paying attention to the content you know how are they delivering when are they cutting to the the face when are they panning across when are they showing the audience reactions and i was just really paying attention really really you know tied to that and then i taught myself how to edit video. Am I a pro at it? No. Do I have an appreciation of it? I think so. Um, I'm always deference to those who do it professionally and I'm learning from them as well. I work a lot with Toast Studios, like there's a guy named Max there who's amazing. I like him and I just jive on and he teaches me a lot of things and I'm learning all the time. So I think the geek in me is more a quest of like, just like, how does that work? That's so cool. You know, like. Yeah, so I, I geek out on things, like it's 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 okay. Um, but with regards to not caring, I would say, I actually, actually really care about pe- what people think. Um, like I know sometimes it doesn't feel like I really care about people, <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> I really care. But you know, one thing that I've learned is I've now decided to, sh- because I'm never gonna change that part of me, like I'm never gonna change that I care what people think of me. I've tried many, many times. Um, now I just, I was like, okay, what's a subset of people in which I really give a shit what their thoughts are and everyone else I don't. So I picked 10, 15 people whose opinions really bloody matter because I know it gives a little bit of weight, but I trust them because they have my best interests in the heart. So I still really care what, I, a lot, what people think, but now I've contained it to 15 people in which I trust. So for example, my boyfriend, like he has a disproportionate weight in, when he's critical of things, um, it's gonna hit me harder because but now I'm insulated from like everybody else and what they think. Um, because I'm just focused on like the subset of people that fulfill that part of me that cares what people think. Um so that's how I balance the geeking out stuff because the people that are like my best like one of my best cousins, Rhonda, like she's always encouraging me to chase stuff. Um, and I'm super happy for that because those people I, I've given them the magic stick and they know that they have it. So they'd be careful not to beat me with it too hard. You know,
0: <laughs> I find that really interesting because uh, years ago uh, at South by Southwest saw Brené Brown and I bring her up a lot on this podcast, but Brené Brown, uh, maybe you didn't listen to her content because you were seeing how they sliced it up. But she. Oh no,
2: I've watched everything. With okay, Brown. Yeah,
0: so Brene Brown talks a lot about that, or at least the, the the speech I saw there at South by Southwest, where she was like, "You're going to have a lot of people in the in the stands throwing you know opinions, advice, whatever shit at you. Don't worry about those ones. Find the ones that matter, and the ones that are probably also in the ring of of life uh, that." That, that, the yeah you're that quoting matter. uh
2: the roosevelt uh daring greatly because i have it on my wall upstairs it's basically like anyone the spectator is like you only care about those that are like the face d- in the dirt in the ring next to you who are daring greatly yeah yeah, yeah. i i subscribe to that i'm yeah. um, actually a friend of mine grace rodriguez is uh TEDx Houston who put Benay Brown on their stage. So when she talks about how she regretted her talk and wanted to like hack back into the TEDx to like steal the tapes, like that was actually <laughs> a friend of mine, Grace. Uh, who, so
0: that was a TEDx that yeah, was done. TEDx
2: Houston. It was have you, um, And I think
0: she she's like like in the top five watched TED videos. I think, or if not the top, you know, like yeah. it's crazy.
2: Yeah, actually, he, um, her and also uh, Simon Sinek's talk. If you saw it at like at Puget Sound, like I always laugh because you know people. Especially TEDxers, like, oh, we're so focused on production value, and I, yeah, production value is super important. Don't I'm knock, like, I totally get that. But have you ever looked at Simon Sinek's first talk? It looks terrible, <laughs> but the message is so powerful, you know. And I think that when you have really great content, it transcends kind of production value. And then you have tons of stuff that's got like really great production value, but like, it, it, you know, you might as well listen to like someone hit a bell with a stick, like <laughs> you know, it's not that.
1: I want to jump on a question uh, that Thane initially wrote down, uh, and like at Founder Fuel, you you spent a lot of time working with you know people who are, are in startups, um, and and developing these these careers, and and we know that it's very rocky, it's full of up and downs, and and the more you read at the moment, what the pandemic has sort of led to is this influx of people, particularly sort of millennials, getting into this like startup world or seeing what they're actually interested in and, and launching something. So if you could, like, what are some of the lessons that you can share about how to keep your mojo when you're, when you're starting a startup, like when you're getting into it, when you're realizing it's really fucking hard, like what are those things that you can sort of share with, with um, the class?
2: It's a very good question. I think one a couple of things at real, I have to say, you know, if you told me when I, a couple months before joining real, that I was going to be at real ventures, I, I don't think I would have, you know, believe that, um, but I have to say, the people at Real really believe it in founder, founder development, founder growth, the dynamics of the individuals at the place. It's not, you know, just money that creates great companies. It's the people that create the great companies. And I think essentially, what's really important with the people is that they are passionate about the problem they're trying to solve. You know, I think if people are just trying to solve a, a problem because they want to build a, you know, a business that well, they can cash out of. You know, they can like, you know, do that and. Cash out a check, raise a ton of money, and and do it for the glory, do it for the ego. That's going to be relatively short lived. Um, I think the pain that I see in the founders that I see at Founder Fuel, even at Front Row Ventures, which is our our um, our young startups um, in your universities, and even all of those, because we we work at Real, we work in, in in early stage, right? So we see the ups and downs. You know, the founders that are burning, it's like 24/7. They they are obsessed with solving this problem. You know, that I think is what's going to transcend. Um, Because I think a lot of people are getting into startups for not necessarily the right reasons, a lot of egoic reasons, you know, um, to show someone else something, you know, to prove to something and prove to themselves. Um, But those who are like up all night because, uh, you know, there's there's a problem that they're dying to solve and they can't sleep, you know, because they want to fix that for themselves and for others, that, I think, is going to be the fuel that really, you know, makes them make sure they're making the right decisions, bringing the right people on board, and and are, the values are really concrete. So that's what I would say, like, you know, it's kind of the tough nights or the tough days, um, making sure that, you know, it's something you're really passionate about, that you care about deeply, um, and that you're aligned with your values. If it's not aligned, then you're doing it for cosmetic reasons, right?
1: And would you say that's sort of applicable to life in general for everyone, like, no matter what? What you're doing, like, should always have an element of passion in what you're doing.
2: Yeah, that's I would 100% agree with the having a, uh, an element of passion. Although I think a lot of people also like the, the counter side of it is like because we're always told like, hey, do something you have really passionate about it. You know? People give up I think too soon sometimes with regards to like what that passion could be. You know, like if it gets a little too hard, then you know. So it's a balance. It's like if the problem's right and if it's the one that you really want to solve. You're not gonna be um, flustered when it doesn't go your way the first, second, third, fifteenth, thirtieth time. <laughs> um, but you know, also knowing the right moment to like break off from something, you know, it's hard to say. I think for each individual, it's very, very different. And, I, and you know, I really do believe that what I th- I see very successfully for a lot of startups and all the startups, ninety nine percent of what they start with is not going to be right. Their business model is not going to be right at the beginning. The people they have on board may not be right. Like what their problem, maybe they're trying to solve at the beginning is not going to be right. But are they well being um, entouré? Are they well surrounded by people who are giving them that concrete, caring, best for you feedback, even if it's not what you want to hear? You know, like so, I, like yeah. again, back to that
1: curation of opinion. Like you were saying yeah. in your own life, like you're curating the people around you that are going to not just give you the answers you want, the answers you need.
2: Yes. And to be open to that, because I think we have crazy defense systems that want to like our egos are there to protect us actually. Um, And to acknowledge that and put it aside, be like, I hear you ego. I know you're doing that for my best benefit, but I, I believe this person cares about me. And doesn't have an agenda to tell me this. That's not, um, you know, against, I have this exercise, which I went with this woman named, um, Alicia Rodriguez. I went to Ecuador for like a week, um, because this other woman recommended that I go down and spend some time. And I was like, what is this? this is like, woo woo. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of the things I would say for a lot of the founders I meet, and this is something I believe in is we all have something that's special and innate about us. Um, you know, it's like a fish, is swimming in water but doesn't know that it's swimming in water and that it's amazing uh, until they speak to a giraffe or an elephant and it's the giraffe and elephant that can reflect back to them that like hey man you're a freaking fast swimmer and swimming's awesome because I'm a giraffe and I can't swim you know so the thing is like I often say to people you know what are you good at are the things that like people are saying thank you to you for that all the time and you're always saying oh that was nothing. <laughs> you know like oh that's something that you're really good at that it's nothing for you but something for other people and like the truth teller she helped me do this exercise so you you find those who you you trust around you and you're asking them what are the five qualities that you see in me that you don't think I know you know what do you see in me um because we are terrible judges of what we are good at or what we're um not good at cuz we carry all this baggage and you know, I think founding teams in sorry, startups need to be freaking honest about the shit they're not good at, they're good at. Um, and like, you know, we're always told to work on our weaknesses. I actually think we should double down on our strengths because the the stuff that I'm really good at, man, I'm going to open with you. I suck at this stuff. Like, you know, and you are you love that stuff? Man, that's great. <laughs> like, oh, you love the stuff that I hate. Like, that's awesome. And I think founding teams don't spend enough time thinking through that dynamic of who are the right people around the table, who will day in day out be by your sides. Like I'm working with a founding team right now that I I just love them. Like they're so in sync with each other and so honest. Um, and I that's the bet I'm making at an early stage startup is like, will that team be able to not have the solutions but the systems and the attitudes and the resilience to go through whatever the slings and arrows that startups will build will throw at them so that's what i'm kind of looking at and that's what i would say like the mentality of of people going into startup is like are you have you looked in the mirror are you honest about what you're good at are you honest at what you're not good at and then find people that you know you can be honest about that shit with uh, because it's scary like building a startup is scary so so how do
0: you coach like Obviously, you're you're talking about one team that are particularly good at this, but when they're not, when they're not open to, for whatever defense mechanisms are kicking in or ego, like, you know, how do you break through on that, or or can't you, or or?
2: I think you can actually. John Stokes and I talk a lot about this at Real. Um, you know, another partner, Sam Bafar, is also very passionate about this it's it's asking about, like we talk about the collaborative conditions and, you know, are you truly listening and reflecting? Like I play the mirror. I'm not judging. I'm just going to ask you, hey, when you said that thing about that, did you tell that person? Like, did you, you when you think that that's a piece of shit idea, like did you tell that person that was a piece of shit idea? When you think that that person did a shitty thing to you and like didn't they, did you tell them? Like, I think it starts with, so for me, it's a like, um, you know, John calls it like conscious leadership. And so some of the work we're doing, but it's everyone's on the path in different locations. It's like Compostela. You're all like on the pillar <laughs> Um, And it's about meeting people where they are. I think saying it's like, some people are really advanced having these conversations. Like, you know, I think Thane, when you and I joke around, we're talking about stuff that's here, but it's not a detriment, like someone who's standing here. It's not like, oh, we're so advanced to me. We're just in a different space. Mm-hmm. And I think it's mm-hmm. about meeting them where they are and then asking them those questions, like the reflective questions and then leaving them the space to think about it. Um, I often think we don't like silence. We don't leave people with questions. Um, so, you know, it's like a simple thing, which I think a lot of type A's. <laughs> it's like, would you be open for me to mirror some feedback back to you?
0: Fuck no. I don't want feedback.
2: Now. <laughs> I'm loving. Yeah, yeah. But oh, like, Podcast <laughs> is over. Uh, Thank you. I don't give it to them no. now. I don't. Yeah. I don't give it to them that moment, which is crazy. I'm like, if you're open to it. Great. Cause some of them are like, no, no, no. I leave. I like, I'm like, okay, let's move on to another stop. But you know, it eats at them cause they're type A's <laughs> they come back. And plant they're the like, seed. They're like, you said that you had, like, and they start to get a little paranoid, which is, like, how do you start the curiosity, right? And yeah, then yeah. before I go into any feedback, it's, like, how... I ask them, how would I... I don't know you extremely well, but how can I give you feedback without triggering your defense mechanisms? What are your typical defense mechanisms? So we have this whole conversation about the frame, and I haven't said anything about any of their behaviors. We are just discussing... The frame how to, so in how which, to
0: communicate, yeah, essentially.
2: And that's how I get things started. Um, and i mm-hmm. I learned this, like we have this amazing company that we work with, um, or two individuals, Aitan Shapira over at MIT Sloan, um, and also another gentleman, uh, Pete Strom. They work at this place called Tilt. Uh, we brought them into Founder Fuel as another part of our uh, development program, and you know John and Sam are very passionate about bringing that um, in in house for um, what we call Founder Camp, which is how we train up a lot of our initial uh, founders through investments. Um, and we work with them, and what we do is we have a lot of experiments. We play. We do a lot of games. Um, people don't understand what they're doing, and then all of a sudden they learn something and then we meta, then we go through the analysis of of what it is that they've learned. And that's how we, instead of lecturing kind of like theory, we go through the play, then we go through the theory and then people are indoctrinating that. And we've seen a lot of the founders, actually I spoke to a founder this week, who was a pretty tough nut, I think, founder of last year. He said, you know what Katie, he's like, I love that part of the programming. I still speak to Aton every two weeks. We've continued to have this conversation and he gets me the ability to calm and to focus. And I come out of those meetings, he's asked me all the right questions that I can ask myself to drive the focus that I need for my business. And that's beautiful. Um so so that's what we've done so far. I don't know if we're in the we're in the we're in the lab laboratory of this part of
0: it. No, but I find that fascinating that you know, I'm gonna use the 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 analogy of like my kids in high school, right? Where yeah, they're they're doing their best and nothing against the teachers. I'm talking more the, the framework of school is in so many ways the opposite of that. It's like it's all designed around one type of of type of feedback, which is did you get a good grade or not?
1: Success is Pretty defined. Much. Yeah.
0: And and you're not there's not these other ways of tapping in and, and, and having maybe self-evaluation or even just self-awareness of like, this is what I really love, or look, you got to do this course. It's just a requirement. It's okay if you don't love it, but here's here's some ways to try and get through it or find ways to find it interesting. It's more like, a, here's a grade, that's it. So it's a, and so you go from there, university, and then to the work world. And let's be honest, most HR departments and most companies – report into the CFO. So it's a pretty, you know, what are you doing in your annual review? Mm. Well, you're negotiating a salary. (laughs) You're not having a a sort of open discussion of how do I evolve? How do I get better? How do I be vulnerable? But how can I open up? Like, I kind of feel I suck on this or I don't like this. And it's sort of like, no, you can't do that. And it's interesting that
1: failure, you can't admit being bad at something. Yeah, it's, it's kind of difficult, those moments.
0: So it's almost like your startup camp should be brought to like to mature company camp.
1: <laughs> like, here's better
0: ways of like working together.
2: I Maple Leaf Foods is where I started my career, and I was really lucky because I mean there was eleven divisions, we were twenty like four thousand employees, and they had a huge growth and development leadership arm, which was outside of HR and different than CFO. And they really saw in the early. I'm gonna, you know, I'm 41 now. So in 2001, when I came out of school, um, they said the leaders of the future are going to be generalists, and they need to be. And they said right up front that we're going to hire students in and rotate them one one year at a time to create that generalist in our, on, on, on our in our divisions. And then they took us out of those roles and they brought us to Ivy. And then they did a lot of like I don't think I've done so many like self psychological and psychological evaluations, but. <laughs> since the very beginning, it was really, um, brought to my attention that if I was aware of where my strengths and weaknesses and, and opportunities were, that I could actually work on those things. and wh- What are the things I can't work on? So I would say, you know, I, I am very, I come from a background. I don't, th- I don't think a lot of people have, um, where I'm very acutely aware of like, what can I control? What do I not control and how can I, move things for my own development. So I think growth and development is is very um, key. Actually, I'm reading this book right now called The Every, Everyone Culture. Um, John recommended it to me. Um, it's about like the Keegan kind of adult development, that it doesn't end at school. And I think more and more, you know, I love taking people right from school and then showing them how to like operate in the real world. Because I think in school, to your point, you know, very metrics, top performing, it was scaled on one thing you had to do. I did really, really well in school, um, you know, so I was lost. The transition from work to school was terrible. Um, you know why? Because exams and end of school year was the cue to end. If you remove those cues, you never stop. When I first got my first job, I worked all the time, like all the time. It was
0: Yeah, because there was no like, okay, this is the cycle of yeah. exams. Or... Yeah,
2: I never, no yeah. one ever told me this is the date this ends. <laughs>
0: yeah. So
2: I just work myself like an idiot. Um, I still work a little, like a little bit, um, but I think we have to learn to put those boundaries down. Um, and if we have really good networks of parent, like parents helping with that or, or mentors that are helping with that. Um, and I think organizations, especially in startups, I think culture is an afterthought. I mean, you're hustling on the product, you're hustling on product market fit, you're hustling for customers and hustling for money. Um, you're just butt- like button it, like you're trying to get it buttoned down. Um, culture is happening. What are you doing every single day, you know, to support the growth and development of the people that are around you, support your own growth and development um, and being really authentic and true. You know, what I really love, I was just talking to someone earlier, like what I love about working at Real is we can have the conversations like, hey, you you, you seem really defensive right now. And even in the Hollywood Squares format, which we're doing these days, you know, the Zoom calls, like, hey, you want to have a moment? Let's go for a walk and talk, you know? Um, So we have ways to diffuse that. But I I do think it's more an advanced kind of conversation where people feel that they can open up and say, hey, I'm not doing so good. Um, You know, Adam Grant just wrote an article in the New York Times and it talks about languishing. So for those who have not read it, he talks about Adam Grant, um, who uh, wrote Give and Take. It's a book I really love as well. Um, And Ted Speaker. Um, And he, he talks about how there's like this middle ground between depression and like flourishing, like doing really, really well. And we're all in it now. It's like, um, languishing, which is the yeah meh. Like, and ironically. It's a bit of
1: a purgatory. Yeah.
0: Like we're not. Feel me. So languishing is kind of, you're stuck between both. Yeah, you're you're neither... kind of like,
2: like people have been asking me like, how are you doing Katie? And I'm like, meh, it's like I'm not bad. <laughs> not great.
0: But you're not, you're not like.
1: Yeah, you're not excelling, you're just kind of in the middle, you're, you're just going through the motions, like you're not being, you're not having those like swings of emotion one way or another, you're just kind of there. Meh. Yeah, you're meh. Meh. <laughs>
0: Let's deconstruct, is that because we don't have enough social interaction, so back to, to having, not boundaries, but these contacts that are, feel more real? Is, it, is, that, is that what it is or is it is it something else?
2: He's talking about how in 2021 the prim- primary emotion will probably be this languishing because we are stuck in this COVID, you know, vaccine kind of like, you know, suspended reality right now. Uh, you know, vaccinating, not vaccinating, can't travel. We can't go to restaurants. We, we, yeah, you know, like all the things, like how many times do you wake up and you're like, what day of the week is it today? Like, I don't even know anymore. Like, it all kind of feels the same. Like, we're just kind of in this like... Day in, day out, like the years or months and weeks go by, and it's all meh. Like, it's all like, oh, it's good. It
1: kind of goes back to what you're saying, like with the exams, like the exam period at university, that's the signal that it's over. Like, if you study up to that point, you do the test, you move on to something else. And through this pandemic, those temporal markers are gone. Like, there is no, I'm going to go on vacation and go here. I'm going to take time off and do that. I mean, like, all of those things we used to do to really separate out those times in our sort of professional lives disappeared so everything becomes monotonous it's the same it's the redundancy it's that it's everything is as it was last week as it will be next week and we're just continuing rather than striving or changing or whatever and that's there was another article in the times with the about like the the sort of yolo generation where everyone's kind of like we went through this pandemic we've seen all this stuff happen we're just going to do what we want now like Forget the job I used to have, the six-figure salary, whatever it is. I'm going to go move to Sarasota, Florida, and do a screenplay. I've always wanted to. I'm going to do it. Whatever. YOLO. Like, it could all end tomorrow. So all of these things are sort of bubbling up at the same time, which is fascinating.
2: I think mental health is, like, to your point, I think the YOLO is also, you know, we're also seeing people because they don't know what to do anymore because they're in this meh. Um, they just re- they are resigning their jobs to just pull the plug on something to see if they can, like yeah. – yeah you know like seize
1: controlling
2: yeah like,
0: or yeah kind of have control I kind of
2: like you see- know electric like kr, kr, like shock you know the something and it's not necessarily like the best moves but they just need something uh, you know i'm sitting here in my kitchen you know like and the lines have all blurred all all over like you know the other day i, I sat and i worked in my uh, you know like on a sunday like i was working in my bed like the whole day you know and like where is the separation you know they talk a lot about delimiting where your work zones are and where your play zones are but we don't all have the luxury of having a big house where we can actually do that some people live in apartments or are single at home you know and like that's a whole other reality where i think it's brought the good thing about the pandemic i think is it's brought a lot of the realities of personal lives into forced it like like a crowbar into the work environment in which i think a lot of hrs and or culture or or people managers like, like wake up, you know, this is a, this is a wake up moment for us to figure out. And the other thing is also like work offices, you know, we're having a lot of questions on, um, are are we permanently work at home option with some, you know, people are rethinking about their, the whole entire work configuration. It's no longer like schlep to work, you know, public transport schlep back, you know, um,
0: it's funny on a totally different uh, twist is, is, is a friend of ours uh, has a, a three-year-old, or almost th- yeah, just turned three, uh, daughter. And she was like, "My daughter has spent her half her life almost now in COVID-ness." <laughs> and which is kind of crazy. and she's, and they, they did a little birthday with like the you know cousins outside. And she's like, can we go back in and can we meet them back on screen? Oh, wow. Like she, she was like overwhelmed with the stimulus of this real-life interaction and was like wanting to go back to the comfort of the two-dimensional, which is kind of, who knows how that'll play out. I mean, there's going to be a lot of fascinating studies. But this, you know, we often talk about our work life and as adults, I think we'll slip into old patterns a little more. I think there's definite changes. My question is like more these super young, it's super early stage of development brain and all that. What does that do? What does that do to a three or four
2: year old? My best friend's kid, like she was telling me, you know, that her child who was born, uh, you know, it's a big year. And so doesn't know, doesn't know how to interact with other, like it's, it's afraid of others because it's not like they're going to the park and seeing all these people and like they're not pushing the stroller and seeing everyone. Um, So he actually doesn't, He's afraid of other people. Like he 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 he's like because he's only been used to his sister and like you know, the mother and yeah. father. And like scarily enough, like my sister had her second child in October. Like I just held her for the first time, like on Easter. Um, you know, my father saw her for the first time. You know, my dad's in a said day, like in a residence. Like there's only two people that are allowed to visit. Like I'm on the roster, that's it. That's all he gets to see. And like all of his friends can come see him. Like there's no, you know. I keep telling them, send me videos. so I can play them for my father because, so I'm trying to sh- show my dad that the people are still thinking about him. So people still care about him. And even though they can't come to visit, they still really love him and they, they wish that they could. But you know, I, I think that I'm someone who's very conscious of that, you know, like trying to make sure he feels very, very still loved and, and seen. But I go into that home every, you know, three days a week. And, you know, I'm seeing a lot of people who are alone all the time, like, you know, and I, like, we talk about the younger and older populations, I think, are, yeah. are both being affected in a very severe way that um, hopefully we can, as a society, like, because we we no longer have those, like, Italian societies or, like, you know, Greek, you know, where everyone's all, like, the grandparents are taking care of the young kids and the intergenerational, like, we're, it's like, old people go in homes and, you know, like, it's very segregated. Um, and that's where the social fabric is kind of, we've kind of diverged away from whatever topic. Yeah. About.
0: But it's, yeah. it all interconnects, which yeah. is fascinating. Like, yeah. uh, I think what you're doing there with startups and those learnings, I, you know, as, as Mark pointed out, like they're true for life. Like, it's like, well, how do we, how do we bring those lessons to so many different environments? Like uh, being, being open, being vulnerable, being there, finding ways to connect. Uh, adapting asking if you want to connect
2: it's like what's the digital version of the casual water cooler coffee like what's the digital equivalent of going to grab a drink down at notman um spontaneously like how do we create those like spontaneous collisions that inevitably build trust and relationships so We just became extremely mindful of like creating subgroups and doing a lot of Zoom calls where we had breakout rooms and exercises. And, you know, we did like uh, rotational coffee. So throughout the cohort, for example, it was every week they had a randomized coffee between two people that were part of the cohort, right? Um, It's like, it seemed a little like too much, but it was like, how do we form? We kind of have to formalize the informal um uh, otherwise it's not going to get done and it's going to become very transactional like hey what are the things like what's your project what's your update okay good like ciao bye you know um and how do you book like i think sarah's done a really great job of like i'm just booking people to just banter for 30 minutes you know like she's like hey, yeah but yeah
0: it's it's funny just right before the pandemic i was in i was in florida my son was down there sailing and i was with my age, I've gotten into audiobooks and I listened to the audiobook of this guy, the super coach, the coach of the, I think the book's called The Trillion Dollar Coach, Bill Campbell. His whole thing was, and he was kind of seen as this, like the this weird dude, go to board meetings and open up like, okay, how was your weekend? What'd you do? How's Martha? Da, da, da. And people are like, at first, like, fuck, this guy's annoying. Like, but they really, he, but it was all conscious of bringing, you know, don't be all transactional and life is not a, a meeting agenda like we're humans. Yeah. And if we can't allow the human into this, you know, either our good stuff or our bad stuff, our stress, we, you can't pretend those aren't there. They're there. And he institutionalized that, like Google board meetings started with him doing like a round table on people's feelings and lives at home. Like, and, and, and I try at times, and I'm not good at it, but consciously when I get into these Zoom calls or others, it's like, wait, okay, just for a moment, like joke a little, what's going on? Like try to add a
2: little of that. Bill Campbell. There's a, so in the everyone culture and also like I think at real, um, which I first came in, like our our investment meeting on Mondays starts with a check-in. It's like someone will go through, you'll take, we'll take some deep breaths or stretches together, and then we actually just talk about the feeling in our body and we take it and we take a couple of deep breaths together, and and that's how we start start the meeting. And then the other thing which I think we're missing a lot of, which we started doing in our meetings, is like a check-out. Because, you know, when you go and you present, you ever notice that you present, let's say you guys present to a customer or, or something, or we're presenting, like all of a sudden the Zoom call ends and you're left, like, usually when you finish, you regroup as a team, how's that for you? And you leave with some sort of a common Understanding of the meeting. Of what the fuck just happened. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens now? Like we met with a an agency not too long ago. It was like I was I was with Sarah and Lisa, and I actually said, like, we'll be finishing this meeting five minutes earlier with you guys because I need to debrief with my team. So I actually stopped the meeting. Thank you so much uh, for your pitch and all this stuff. We stopped because I wanted to respect the hour. Um Mm -hmm. for five minutes, we debriefed as a team before we hung up. And I think that's what I mean by formalizing the informal, because when you mm-hmm. used to walk out of a meeting, like say so you'd left the clients and you did a pitch, like you guys would chat amongst yourselves and you that's would right. leave with the common feeling of like, how did that go? And a lot of that tacit knowledge, let's say like a senior would talk to, you, and then the junior would be like, okay, so that's my, my read of that situation was good. Wasn't good. Like, you know, you kind of like learn through those like tacit moments that are all cut. Now you hang up on the call, you're gone. And like, sometimes we've had some really tense conversations, which I've been a part of. It's so tense and yet it's over and everyone has to run to a meeting. We click off and I'm literally sitting here and I'm like, okay, now I'm back in my kitchen, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <like>, yeah. Whoa, wow. <laughs> like it was like total time work. Like it was so intense. Like you're emotionally invested. It's like, you're trying to figure it out or you're super excited about something. Even like when I'm excited for the startup, uh, but an idea, we have an aha moment, but we have to cut to our next meeting. And then you're like, Okay, now I'm transported back to my kitchen and I'll get up. Now. The other day, like,
0: I, 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 for the Easter long weekend, took a holiday. And on the Friday, uh, we were up at Le Massif. So it felt like we'd gone to Mars. Like we we, we went we went far away. We drove for four hours. Uh, anyways, we were there skiing. And then on the Friday, on the chairlift, my phone rang and, rang. and then it rang. So I was like, eventually got to the top, you know, and I'm with the family. And a colleague of mine sort of didn't, you know, they rang four times in a row. I'm like, shit, you know,
1: the office is on fire. Yeah, something's on fire.
0: Then they, I get, I, I'm like, I, okay, I, I finally answer, and then they, they just start unloading on me. <laughs> and then after a bit, I was like, and there, and I was like, can I get back to you? Because I'm actually with my kids right now, <laughs> skiing. Because it's the Easter long weekend and we're this first time we are actually have a little break in a while. And they're like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh my God, what was I thinking? Like, Because they, they, they've lost sight and I I was like, I felt permission. I felt that like it was in my place to say, look, the context of this is kind of really sucks right now. It's not, there is nothing burning down. You're just offloading on me. So let's uh, take this
2: up. On
0: Tuesday next week, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like
2: one of the one of the like, simple things like formalizing the informal. Calling someone. Is this a good moment?
0: Yeah. And like, it'd oh, be like, oh, Well, actually you know,
2: <laughs> I, I do that. I do that. Is this a good moment? If it's not, it's okay. And then then they actually sometimes say like, actually it's not a good moment. Great. When it when I'm sorry, like I, I took a chance. When would be a good moment? Text text me. Text me back to good me when moment. You're ready. Text me yeah. actually
0: never. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> hey, so, so speaking of moments, because we try and respect our timelines on our uh, super podcast here, what we're going to do right now is change it up completely. Yeah. And welcome to our game show. It's called The Rabbit Hole Five, and at the end of this, you may win a prize. It's called Mojo. <laughs> so.
2: <laughs> Mark's like rubbing his head, going, "Oh my god."
1: So we're going to ask you five.
2: <laughs> you can visualize for like, the listeners where is he going where is he going down the rabbit hole he just told us mark rabbit rabbit hole
0: <laughs> rabbit hole number 1 and this is like why not so we prepared these five questions ted talk you're a ted talk organizer so you've watched a lot of ted talks yes what's your favorite ted talk ever uh. And don't say a lot of them Um, not accepting that answer. One
2: of my top ones is Dan Pilata's talk on how everything we know about charities is not, is wrong. He is the one who did the weekend to end breast cancer, which raised like 300 million, you know, for breast cancer awareness. And, you know, those people wanted to actually do something, which was walk over entire weekend. Um, And the question that I got changed listening to that talk was, I always used to ask like, where, how much of my money is going towards the organization? Like how much are you spending for overhead? You know, And I think he, he really made me understand that like, you know, 80% of a $300 million thing is better than 100% of a bake sale. <laughs> you know, and he says, you know, when you do a walk to end breast cancer, you have to have security. You have to make sure that health is there. You have to provide, you want people to feel safe in doing that endeavor. We cannot do that for free and you shouldn't expect us to, so, but you get like, you know, 80 or 60 or 70% of $300 million or a hundred percent of like your shitty little break, bake sale. And, uh, and, you know, he talks about also how, you know, a Stanford or an Harvard MBA or whomever that wants to do good is better off actually going into investment banking and giving away half his salary to a charity, getting the tax break from it, then becoming the poor suck that runs the charity and has to listen to the Harvard yeah. and Stanford people tell them what to do. And I thought, Oh my God, like we're not setting up nonprofits and, and the do gooders for success. And that fundamentally changed how I saw our nonprofits um, and how I actually run my nonprofit too.
0: It's interesting you say that because I, I, years ago I had a chance to interact and work a little bit with Charity Water. And I forget the name of the founder, dude. He's a super cool guy. He's too cool for school, but very cool. And Scott, Scott Harrison, I think. It, yeah, Scott Harrison. Anyway, long story short is he, I think, was inspired by the dude you're talking about because he, the Charity Water, when you donate money to to Charity Water – Hundred percent of it goes to the wells, but the problem with that, you know, the model—you you're always like, I don't want to give money to a thing where there's people being paid, and it's like, what what they did is they divided church and state. So for the actual organization, for people who work at Charity Water, they made their salaries and working there very competitive to other companies by separating out, they actually go and raise money from foundations to pay for the staff mm. and make sure, and that's a hundred percent for the organization. Mm-hmm. And then the fundraising side is a hundred percent for the cause, but they've separated those out. And I thought that was, and, I, I, and I'm and i pretty sure he was inspired by that dude you're talking about. Um, what's his name? Dan like, Pilata. Yeah, I think so. Because it was the first time I'd seen a a non-for-profit where they're not like, we only spend 1% on our overhead. And it's like, yeah, but then that means there's got a lot of people there who, who you know.
2: Working for free.
0: Yeah. And it's like, you're not, yeah you get what you pay for. You
2: working know? for passion. Working for like, you know. And uh, so that's one of my, that's my favorite. Uh, that would be one of my top favorite. Interesting. TED Talks.
1: Okay, Mark, number two. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change mine. Um, I was actually. Oh, you're not allowed, dude. Yeah, man, I'm changing (laughs) it up. Um, Do you have a, a, an opinion on the Myers-Briggs personality test? I do, but I don't know if it's
2: like. like I'm like, what's yours?
0: (laughs) 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 I'm like, I'm trying to say, Mark, where does that come from? That's my.
2: Well,
1: it comes from because like, because I, I, listening to all the things you're talking about with founders needing to be sort of authentic, uh, knowing themselves uh, and, and how they interact, their strengths, their weaknesses, and all that. I, I, I did the Myers-Briggs at one point, and I actually thought it was quite enlightening. I was like, oh, that explains why some things affect me one way and another. But I know there's also some people who think it's not as useful as it could be.
2: I um I think anything that you do to discover more about yourself is useful. How you use it though is a like if you use it to be insular and be like I I told you this thing tells me I'm fucking good at this and that's why you should shut up because I've done five tests and it says that I'm top scoring on this so I, pfft, well not like well that's that's not the purpose of the conversation here like so I think anything with a mindset of like, what am I learning from this? How can I improve something? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And where can I, you know, balance those off? But not as a weaponization of that information, you know, not as a, you know, I told you so, therefore I am, I'm so blah, blah, blah. So I'm an ENFJ um, and I I haven't actually changed. I've done it uh, probably once every two years since 2001. So ENFJ has been pretty consistent. Um, and uh, the one I use a lot, uh, which is from my previous teams, I've, I've used a lot of Discovery Insights, which is actually like on a wheel and you can talk about it and your team gets done. And it's amazing because you actually physically stand when, when you can get together physically and you see you see where the rest of your team is standing and you see how it's complimentary and you see how actually that guy that you fight with all the time normally he's on the opposite side the two of you are like i always think that like people who get along like whenever i'm sitting too close to someone in the same square as me um like i had a manager who were like literally on the same little tiny square i was like we're like Thelma and louise like we're gonna drive off the same cliff together because we're not gonna see the yeah. same things like it's t- terribly dangerous like you know, so then it's like, we need to have that guy who's standing polar to us, look at our projects, understand, like look at our proposals because he's gonna bring a perspective that prevents me from driving off a cliff because I don't see that stuff. And too much groupthink it's not good. You know, it, it's about finding the shared values. Like what do we share in our values? but how do we have different perspectives on it with our shared values? So I think Myers-Briggs is one that I would recommend for everyone. It's called 16 personalities. It's a free website. It's like the best one that I've seen. I actually use this for a I'm lot doing of it my right teams, now. 16 personalities. It's hilarious. They do it. And what I like about it is it talks not just about you professionally. What are you like as a friend? What do you like as a parent? What do you like as like a, a partner? Um, and it talks through your, your Myers-Briggs through different lens and I actually recommend for people to do that um I'm a protagonist in that one and they actually have like celebrities also who are the same as you which is and they have like fictional ones too like so Game of Thrones I remember like a couple years I did it and like Dinero like one of them was like oh I'm Daenerys." like oh it's so cool like I'm John Stark like um so having- <laughs> you're,
0: you're not a geek at all you're no. not a ge- <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, uh, taking that back yeah so I had my partner read mine and say like how, you know, and it's always whenever I work with teams on this, it's a free one. Circle the parts that you think are true. Circle the parts that you don't think are true. For the parts that you don't think are true, talk to three other people and get their perspective of that. And help. that is the way, it's like when you don't think it's true, even the stuff that you think is true, like you should talk to three people, one work, one friend, you know, one in your family. And you should see from like work, friend and family, what is the echoing back of what you believe to be is true and be open to them telling you different variations of what they believe is true, you know? So Myers-Briggs, I think is a great tool. There's situational leadership. I mean, there's so many, there's a plethora, like strength finders, my gosh, like I could go on and on. There's so many of them, um, which are really great, so. Yeah, that's my thought on Mars. So Mark,
0: you and I are going to do that right after this. We're going to jump (laughs) on and do a little... (laughs)
2: It's hilarious, too.
0: (laughs) So so let me ask you this. So if you... Would you, actually, would you volunteer to be on Musk's one-way ride to Mars?
2: No. My dad would be, though. I've had that conversation. My dad's like, yeah, I'm on it. (laughs) I was like, Dad, really? I'm like, you're on a lot of machines right now. He's like, yeah. So he's like... (laughs)
0: yeah fuck it i'm going. <laughs>
2: he's like i'm like it's one way and he's just like yeah i'm already one way in this home <laughs> <He's just> like... <laughs> My dad's like, i was like okay dad <laughs> no i i would not i actually really love it here i love our earth and i think there's like <laughs> lots to save on here i think uh like it's awesome how many years do i have left really like i don't really have that many years left like i'll leave it for somebody else i'll give i'll give that ride to somebody else
1: all right, number four. So you've already listed a couple books that have, have been important to you and some stuff you're reading now, but what's one book that you've read that stuck with you the most? It's like, a...
2: Yes, Stephen Pressfield, The War of Art. That is my number one. If I, I've gifted it like well over 40 times, if I have not more. I have lost count.
1: Yeah, I stole Thane's copy. Uh, you did, you
0: bastard. So now I have an audio version. It doesn't have the same effect.
2: The one that most recently really rocked my world um, is Reboot by Jerry Colonna. He's known as like the CEO whisperer. Um, but I listened to it on Audible at 1.2 speed. Um, and uh, I it drove a lot of the inquiry, the radical self-inquiry. He's all about radical self-inquiry and asking yourselves the hard questions and not being afraid of your own demons. And um, this past fall was very uh, moving for me to go through that internal journey. So I've also gifted that quite a few times as well. So Reboot most recently.
0: That dude has a a, a consulting firm or something like that called Reboot. Yeah, it's called
2: Reboot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually almost signed up. They have this like a multi-day retreat, like I think a four or five day thing. And I was going to do that. And then uh, pandemic-y thing Sort of came in, oh and so I was like, "Ah, I'll revisit that down the road."
2: But I would love to go. It's amazing, like the stuff he talks about that happens at those retreats. It's like, it's pretty. Uh, I'm I'm in awe. I, I've I've been listening to a lot of stuff, uh, especially because he comes from the world of VC. So I'm learning. Like it's been 13 months that I've become kind of in the VC world. I'm learning you know i went from Brett i'm on their. <laughs> i'm
0: on their mailing list so i'm gonna read the books i didn't even know there was a book i highly
2: so I recommend listening to it i'm not an audiobook person i am usually a reader um but this one for some reason his voice is quite nice and the way he tells a story has such love and and emotion oh, in i'm it. so
0: glad you said i can you give me permission to do audiobook because that's, that's just the only way i can. when i read books now i just sleep i'm just like page one <laughs> second paragraph <laughs>
2: Out. What I like about the war of art though reading in is it it's leaves short. you the space to th- <laughs> but I like the way it's formatted. It it hits you with a hammer on something and all this empty space. So it's almost like you have time to like digest that. Sometimes I, I read something, and I'm like, oh, this is true. So I close it and I, I sit with it. It's not like you, it's not like piled one on top of another. He gives you the thing, space. You turn the page if you want to move on to the next one to reflect on, which I think is really
0: great. So, last question: advice you would give Katie M. when she was 17 years old?
2: <laughs> I was like, don't have cancer. Answer sucks. <laughs> don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, well, that's a shitty one. <laughs> um, that's a good question. Um, I think I would teach myself about imposter syndrome. Um, I don't think I knew what it was until my mid thirties. I, I didn't have a name for it. You know, I didn't have a name or or label for something. And I think I would have been able to like save myself a lot of tears and grief had I had I understood that more deeply. I was teaching at Manopolis, like a friend of mine is a teacher there. And I remember in the Q and A, cause I teach a course, um, pretty much like transition school to work type in communications, but someone there last year was like, and Katie, what do you think about imposter? How do you manage that? I literally was like, wow, the fact that you're 18 and asking me this question is amazing. Like you're leagues ahead of me. Like, <laughs> I think that the self-awareness of the, the the people coming up these days is incredible. I don't think we had that at all. So I think for me, if I would have been able to start myself that journey earlier, that would have that been something I would have been really grateful for just to to, like, lower that bar because I was really... Uh, yeah, but is it good
0: or bad? Like, we've... It's it's funny. The, the number of podcast guests we've had. And it, this must come up every second or third guest. The imposter syndrome. And Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, but some people say it's good. Some people say it's bad.
1: Yeah, it depends on your relationship to it. Because some people have said that like imposter syndrome made them work harder and like learn more and like never stop um like that was mitch joel's thing he would read he would just keep going and you know on the thing like they're eventually going to figure out that i don't know what i'm doing so i have to keep working and keep thinking and keep keep exposing myself to new things and then other people were saying like you know when you're on when you're feeling imposter syndrome that's good because like if you're ever in a new area and you're exploring something new you haven't done it before so you are a little bit of an imposter at it so it it depends how you relate to it
2: that's interesting um i think it's a double-edged sword
0: because i'm I, i'm i'm guessing you were you're seeing it as a bad yeah, thing when a you always felt, you know, i
2: think no actually yeah. i see it as a double-edged sword that you need to it's like a weapon that you need to harness uh, like that's how i see mm-hmm. it it's like I 100% see both sides of that. You know, I I 100% see the two sides of like, because I don't wanna be a fake, I'm gonna geek out on something, Um, you know? But I think the difference is because I geek out on stuff now, but imposter syndrome was like, not love of it. It was the fear of it. Like, you know, I I, I much prefer to be driven by the love of something than the fear of being found out. Right? So I think what, if I, the advice I would give myself is like, Now I do it all the time. I come on and I meet different VCs like, Hey, I'm, I've only been in this, you know, eight months, seven months, not not 13 months. Like, no, tell me, is there anything you would like to share with me? I would be really grateful to learn it. I don't think I would have been able to say that. Like, you know, I, I own up, I own it now and I don't, it doesn't bother me. I have perpetually been told, and you guys started with like this whole thing of like, you know, Katie, you've been like, you know, bread and then this, and then AI and then venture. Like, I mean, I went from, yeah, bread to casino to AI to venture. Like it's a, up you know and nonprofit still through all of this right i've always been told that i'm not qualified i've always been told like everywhere i've gone like it's like oh well you know like when i was in white bread like well you came out of school you're green didn't know that and i, I changed a lot at six different jobs when i was at maple leaf i didn't know about manufacturing i didn't know I, like, i've always been told that i don't know you know and i think and when i went to casino gambling like you don't know anything about casinos. How could you be product in that? You don't, you don't come from casinos. You don't know table games. You don't know, you don't know when I, you know, when I went into like AI, you don't know the first thing about t- tech product or SaaS. I don't even know, I didn't know what SaaS stood for. Like, I, you know, like, so I think the imposter syndrome what I would tell, like what I meant by like telling you is like, you're, it's okay. If you're curious and you're, you're, you want the wonder wonder is my favorite word because it's curiosity and amazement smashed together. Okay. So it's like, wow, like you no know, wonder. It's like it's like the two best things, amazement and curiosity. So you're always gonna have the naysayers. And I think if I had known when I was 17 that people are gonna piss on my parade all day long, I would be like, whatever, like whatever's like, okay. And then like had I known to also like concentrate like caring for other people's opinion, I really care about my my, my boss's opinion. I'm always gonna care. But you know what? I really cared enough, like imposter syndrome. I told Janet janet i really care about my like you will have a disproportionate weight in my like just because you're my manager and how cool is it that i can just say that to her so she can like wield that more carefully and be aware and that's all i like that's what i mean by imposter syndrome is like i'm just super it, open yeah. like you know so jerry colonna says in his booklet about like open-hearted warrior. And I I just think that there is something about being like open and you can do it in a way like everything I'm saying is pretty vulnerable, but you can feel the power in what I'm saying at the same time. Like we can be those two things simultaneously. It's not weak and strong. It's like we can be vulnerably strong. Like, and I, I think that that's what I didn't get when I was young.
0: That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly. So look, Katie, you have shared, you've been, uh, you've been wonderful. See, I'm using wonder now. Uh, and thank you. And, 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 and thank you for being on Mojo Moments. Like I look forward to reconnecting in real life. Maybe we got a reboot. I would
2: fucking love that. Uh,
0: I think post pandemic, we're all going to need a little bit of
2: reboot. I think so too. Well, thank you both. It was awesome. Thank you. I spoke a lot. I'm so sorry, but um, it was, was useful.
0: Great. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Whoa! What an episode that was.
0: <laughs> oh, seriously, dude. She is so well-read and knows so many fucking things that it blows my brain. And I was trying to scramble to write notes on my keyboard. Like, I got to read that book. got to yeah, see that. Yes, I
1: writing notes. You never write notes. I was like, shit, she's breaking through.
0: Yeah, no, no, because I, I always have this thing that I'm going to remember, but then I don't. So that's today. I was like, and
1: you'd have to listen to the podcast again. Yeah, you're not do that. don't do that. I gotta
0: hear my voice anyway. Super interesting. You know, uh, it's and I know it's at the tail end of the, the conversation, but the whole thing about imposter syndrome, like that's a book, dude. Internet itself. It Maybe yeah, it's sort of been done. We could Google. It. It's a huge issue. Well, I don't know Probably if it's an issue. It's a huge topic. I don't know if it's an well, issue.
1: it's a topic, and it depends on how you relate to it, whether it's an issue or not. Yeah.
0: So do you have an issue with it? Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or is it a topic?
1: No, it's. Uh, I mean, I used to when I was younger. It was definitely an element. whatever I did because I, I I'm kind of no, I'm nowhere near as cool or as 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 amazing is katie but like i've always been so, i've always sort of followed my wonder and curiosity as well like i went into archaeology for a while i went into like travel and tourism for a while i got into advertising and you know, i was following things that i'm interested in so every time you go into that you start at zero and you're always like well they're gonna realize i don't know what the fuck i'm doing mm-hmm. but like the more you do it and 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 the more you learn in life it's how you approach things rather than you know necessarily what you know all the time that That gets you through things. So, I've accepted my imposter syndrome.
0: Nice. Well, the other thing I want us to do together, so I can get to know you better, is what you say. Sixteen. The
1: the sixteen personalities game. Yeah,
0: you ready to do that?
1: Yeah, we should do that as a. We could do it, me and you. We could do it as a team do it
0: let's start with you and i before we'll and then test we drive we, yeah, it before see, we invite everybody yeah, else in yeah, yeah let's, we'll do let's, it, and then we can see how to cheat it and fake it up for the next one uh so let's
1: <laughs> make ourselves look better in front of the group which defeats the purpose uh
0: so on that note buddy uh let's do that let's hang out and do that and uh thank you katie for being on the mojo moments podcast
1: thanks chris Ballon, for the music Ooh-hoo. and thanks to all 10 of you for listening
0: at the same time.
1: Simultaneous. <laughs> Group listening, six six feet apart, masks on. Au revoir. Ciao. Bye.